0: In his book, The Song of the Bird, uh, Tony DeMello tells the following story. He says, a man found an eagle's egg and put it in a nest of a barnyard hen. And the eaglet hatched with the brood of chickens and grew up with them. And all his life, the eagle did what the barnyard chicks did, thinking that he was a barnyard chick. Years passed and the eagle grew very old. One day he saw a magnificent bird above him in the cloudless sky. It glided in graceful majesty among the powerful wind currents with with scarcely a beat of its strong golden wings. The eagle looked up in awe. Who's that? he asked. That's the eagle. The king of the birds, said his neighbor. He belongs to the sky. We belong to the earth. We are chickens. And so the eagle lived and died a chicken. For that's what he thought he was. How many of us are like that eagle? Living our lives as a chicken when God has actually made us to be an eagle, living our lives based on the definitions and expectations of others, rather than a clear sense of who we really are. Last Sunday, we started a new sermon series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality that's based on the book by that title, written by Pastor Pete Scazzaro, and we looked at the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality from chapter one of the book. Um, and we looked at the example of King Saul, how he shows a sort of um, unhealthy spirituality. Today we're going to turn to chapter two, which is the first of seven pathways toward emotionally healthy spirituality. And that pathway is know yourself that you may know God. Know yourself that you may know God. We need to know ourselves so that we don't end up like that eagle who thought he was a chicken. And as we're going to see, knowing ourselves is deeply connected to knowing God. So to help us understand this first principle, we're going to look at the very familiar story of David and Goliath. Many of us, we probably most of us have heard that story, but we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath from a very particular perspective today. We're going to see that David had a clear sense of who he was, despite the fact that there were many others around him who were trying to impose other identities onto him. So our text today is from the book of First Samuel, First Samuel 17, verses 26 to 45. And um, just so you know that the 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 screen is going to have print very small today. For some reason, our screens are, there's some issues today. So you may want to follow along in your Bibles and the Bibles in the pews, 1 Samuel 17, or if you have really good eyes, you might be able to read that. Or you could just listen as I I read the passage. Um, But just to give a little bit of background on this text, the people of Israel were facing the Philistines as they were an enemy army. And the Philistines had this nine-foot-tall champion named Goliath. And Goliath challenged any Israelite soldier to come and face him one-on-one. But no one wanted to because of fear. And so David, we find David, who had been tending his father's sheep, comes to the battle lines to bring food to his brothers, who were soldiers in the battle. And we're going to pick up the story just after David listens and hears Goliath taunting the Israelites, kind of making fun of them. And, and saying, you know, come and face me. You guys are afraid. And so we're going to pick up the story right as after David has heard Goliath say these things. So 1 Samuel 17, beginning with verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliah, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what, what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, the king, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. He's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, "'Ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. "'He said to David, "'Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks?' "'And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. "'Come here,' he said, "'and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air "'and the beasts of the field.' "'David said to the Philistine, "'You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, "'but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, "'the God of the armies of Israel.' whom you have defied. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray that as we listen to this account of, of David facing Goliath, that, that you would teach us, Lord, what it means to know ourselves, that we may know you, that we would not be defined by other things, Lord, but be defined by what you say about us. And so we pray that you would, would teach us now this morning. Give us ears to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this first principle of know yourself that you may know God by examining this text, we're going to start with pressures toward a false self. And I think we may be having some issues with the with, uh, screen here today. So... Um, If if you're taking notes, you can just kind of follow along with me as I try to kind of lay this out for us today. Um, We're going to start with pressures that we face toward a false self. What were some of the pressures that David felt uh, pushing him towards a false self? Um, We're going to see that David actually resisted these pressures that he faced. But what were the forces that, you know, kind of that, that opening story that I told? Forces that were kind of making him telling him that he was a chicken, when actually he's an eagle. Well, the first pressure that David felt was from his family. So the first pressure toward having a false self for David was his family. Uh, David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. He was kind of the, the baby of the family. And when the prophet Samuel came to anoint one of Jesse's sons, as the next king of Israel, Jesse didn't even invite David to join his his seven brothers. David had to be called in from the field. He was taking care of the sheep. David's brothers and his father, they didn't think much of him. And when David goes to the battle lines and starts asking questions about Goliath, we, we heard this in the text, that his brother, his oldest brother, Eliab, gets angry with him. In verse 28, Eliab says, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So David's older brother kind of belittles him. You know, basically says, What are you doing here, David? Go home to your sheep. You don't belong here at the battle. You're just a little kid. Go home. David's family was one of the forces that were pressuring him to have a false self, to deny who God had actually called him to be. What did God called David to be? God had actually anointed David to be the next king of Israel, right? But his family just saw him as little David, the shepherd boy. You know, sometimes the same thing can happen in our lives. Sometimes our families can be a source of pressure toward developing a false self. Parents can, can sometimes pressure their kids to fit a certain mold, to pursue a certain career, or to participate in certain activities which might not actually fit the way that God has, has actually gifted and shaped that, that particular child. And so children can sometimes grow up with a false self that's based more on their parents' expectations. could be positive expectations or a negative expectations, but, but it can be based on sort of what, what the parent's vision of this child is, rather than how God actually has made that child. Maybe, maybe some of you can relate to that in your own life. Or sometimes a person develops a false self in reaction against their family. So you rebel against those expectations. You say, you know what, they want me to be like this, I am going to be the farthest thing from that. I'm going, to, I'm going to do my own thing. But in that situation, too, your identity can actually, you're still being defined by your family rather than being defined with who you actually are, who God has created you to be. In chapter 3, the next the chapter we're going to look at next week, we're going to look more deeply at this issue of of how our families impact us. Um, So we're not going to go in depth on that today. But it's important to recognize that, that our families can sometimes be a source of pressure toward a false self. A second source of pressure that David felt was from those with power and authority. Those with power and authority. Specifically for David, that was King Saul. David, he's called in to see Saul. And when David tells Saul that he's willing to fight Goliath, what's Saul's response? In verse 33, he says, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him? You're only a boy. He's been a fighting man from his youth. And so Saul discourages David. Now David, he could have easily responded to this reaction from Saul and said, You're right, Saul. I am just a boy. You're you're older, you're wiser, you're more experienced in battle than I am. What was I thinking? Let me head back home to the sheep where I belong. David resisted that. David remains confident that because, as we're going to see, David had a clear sense of who he was. And he was able to resist what, what Saul thought of him. But Saul then goes on to to then say, "Okay, fine, David. I'll I'll send you into battle against Goliath." But Saul then has a very particular perspective on what it will take to defeat this giant, this giant Goliath. And so he dresses David with his own armor. He puts his helmet on David's head. He gives him his sword because he says, "All right, David, if you want any chance fighting this this giant, you got to you got to be ready to go." So he dresses him in his armor. Saul tries to pressure David into fitting a certain mold if he's going to take on this challenge. Saul thinks that if there's any hope for this kid, he's got to look a certain way. He's got to to have the right tools. But if David had gone out to fight Goliath in Saul's armor, he would have been expressing a false self. He would, have not, he would have not been David. He would have been David trying to be Saul. He would have had a false self. He, and he would have gotten defeated. He would have gotten demolished by this giant if he'd tried to go up in hand-to-hand combat against this giant with a sword. See, it can be easy to look at those with power and authority in our lives and think that our goal is to be just like them. You know, David could have said, I if I want to face Goliath, I've got to be like Saul. I've got to look like him. I've got to sound like him. I've got to, I've got to dress like him. And sometimes we can feel that pressure in our lives that, 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 that in order to, to, to be something, we, we look at those in power and authority and say, I have to be like that. I've got to achieve that level of success. Or, or I have to get a certain number of possessions or, or things around me. That, that's what success looks like. Or Or in order to get there, these are the methods and models that I have to follow. And if I want to have success, i got to be like this person. They give me an example of that. And often, like Saul, those with power and authority sometimes pressure us into fitting a particular mold. But oftentimes that mold won't fit us. Just like Saul's armor, it didn't fit David. Right? it didn't fit him. When I was finishing high school and in my early years of college, I worked for an organization um, where the leader had a very particular style and approach. And he wanted everyone who worked for him to adopt that same style and approach. And at first, I, I loved working there because I was able to kind of mold myself to what he was looking for. But as time went on, I started to feel like I was wearing a mask, like I was being, I had to, I had to be a certain way in order to, to kind of fit into this, this organization, and I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to let my own personality and, and ideas to come through in, in the way that I wanted to achieve, you know, the, the goals of this organization. We can sometimes be pressured into developing a false self by those in power and authority, whether they realize That they're doing that or not. Sometimes those in power and authority don't even realize that they're they're putting that kind of pressure on people. This is one of the the sources sometimes, pressures of, of, of developing a false self. The third and final pressure towards a false self that David faces is Goliath himself. And I think that we can face similar Goliaths. So, we can, we can be pressured by family, we can be pressured by those in power and authority, and we can be pressured by sort of what Goliath represents in our lives. How does Goliath pressure David? Well, he taunts David, he mocks him for coming to the battle with this unconventional approach. You know, he, sees, he sees David with, with a shepherd's staff and a slingshot and rocks, and he says, What do you, am I a dog? You're coming at me with, with sticks? He mocks David. Goliath pressures David. He says, give up. What hope do you have against me? I'm a giant. Or he challenges him, you know, come, come and face me in battle, David. Come on. He tries to, to pressure him into facing him on his terms. And once again, David is pressured to put on a false self. Goliath is pressuring him to deny who God has called him to be or to be someone that he's not. I think there are all kinds of things in our lives that can function like Goliath in pressuring us again to adopt a false self. In this week's chapter, um, in in the book, Pete Scazzaro talked about Jesus' temptation by Satan in the wilderness. And he framed that temptation in terms of being tempted towards false selves. That that Jesus himself was pressured, tempted by sort of a Goliath. It It was Satan himself who pressured and tempted Jesus. And Scazero talks about how those pressures, those temptations that Jesus faced was, was Satan was trying to get Jesus to develop a false self of de- defining who he was by what he could do. Turn these rocks into bread, Jesus. Show us who you are. Show us your power. Pressuring him to, to, to define himself by what he could do or by what he possessed. Pressure says, you know, Jesus, I'll offer you all the kingdoms of this world. That's another pressure that, that he, he pushes on Jesus. Or, or how others thought of him. He says, throw yourself off the temple so others will believe you. If the angels come and catch you, then that, that's how you should define yourself, Jesus, is, is popularity, is, is how people will, will, will accept you. We can face these same temptations in our lives. That can also fit, function as, as, as Goliaths in our lives. Basically yelling at us like Goliath yelled at David. You're nothing without success. You're nothing without wealth. You're nothing without power. You're nothing without popularity. You, you're nothing unless you have these other things to define yourself. And we can feel the pressure to wrap ourselves with these false identities. Identities. So how did David resist these pressures towards a false self? How can we begin to remove these false selves that we may have wrapped ourselves with? So we've been looking at pressures toward a false self. Now we're going to look at a pathway to knowing your true self. What is the pathway to knowing your true self? self. Well, one key step on this pathway is to be honest about your emotions. To be honest about your emotions. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, he talks a lot about this in this week's chapter, if you had a chance to read it um, before today or if you read it um, after today. And for many of us, it can be uncomfortable to be honest about our emotions, We're much more comfortable talking about what we think about a particular subject rather than talking about what we're feeling inside. You know, this, I think, can be sometimes a cultural thing. Some cultures are much more comfortable talking about emotions and other cultures maybe are less so. But I think sometimes we can feel like emotions are, they're unreliable. They're kind of fickle. They go up and down. We've been taught not to trust our feelings, but instead to focus on the facts and, and to train our feelings to follow suit. And, and there's some truth to this, right? It's unwise to blindly follow our feelings and emotions wherever they take us, right? We shouldn't allow our feelings or emotions to just dictate how we live or act or, or what we think. But I think that sometimes our fear of that extreme, our fear of letting our emotions be you know, the, the determining factor, Means that we sometimes go to the other extreme, where we basically ignore or suppress our emotions. We just sort of want to—we ign- just want to push them aside, especially some of the more difficult emotions like sadness and anger and fear. And often, we can cover over those emotions by creating false selves. So we put on a happy face. Even when we're we're actually hurting and feeling deep sorrow underneath, or or we don't want to be honest about the fact that we're really feeling anger, we feel like I'm not supposed to feel anger, and so so we just pretend like everything is fine. But because we're not honest about that, we're just shoving it down. Often, what ends up happening is that that suppressed anger leaks out of us in explosive and sometimes harmful ways. Instead of dealing with it, we push it down and it just kind of spills out because it's still there. If we're going to get to a place of truly knowing ourselves and not just trying to meet other people's expectations, we need to acknowledge that part of who we are is that we are emotional beings, that we have emotions. And actually, God created us that way, that God made us. ...to have emotions. That is part of how he intended us to be. In the chapter, Scazzaro talks about how God himself... ...we read through the pages of scripture that God himself feels emotion. So we are created in God's image. We feel emotion. It's part of who we are. David understood this. I think that's part of why he was able to resist those false selves that we talked about earlier... He knew himself, and he was honest about his emotions. We see that so clearly in many of the psalms that David wrote, which are recorded in the Bible. If you read through the book of Psalms, you see the full range of emotions that David expresses. Joy, deep sorrow, anger, fear, doubt, longing, love. Positive and negative. David is expressing it all to God. And because he opened these deeper parts of himself to God, it then allowed him to know God more deeply as well. Because he wasn't hiding that. He was opening himself up so that God could could come and meet him in the midst of those emotions. So that first way of, of, of a pathway towards having a true self is to be honest about our emotions. The second step on the pathway to knowing your true self is to begin the process of differentiation. That's a big word. It's a, a word that, that, that Schizero also introduced in this, this week's chapter. And, uh, and he talks about how this, this term was developed by someone named Murray Bowen, who is the founder of Modern Family Systems Theory. What differentiation really refers to is is a person's capacity to define his or her own life's goals and values apart from the pressures of those around them. So it involves the ability to hold on to who you are and who you're not. Being able to differentiate yourself from the pressures of those around you. I believe that David... Had this, David developed a sense of differentiation. Where did that happen for David? I think it happened when he was out in the fields, taking care of his family's sheep. See, David had time out in the fields to gain a sense of who he was, apart from his family's expectations, apart from other pressures around him, as, as he began to sense of, you know, this is the way God has made me, this is the way, these are the gifts that God has given to me, and so when he comes before King Saul, when Saul kind of says, you know, who are you, this little kid, how does David respond? He says, well, you know what? I know who I am because I had these moments out in the fields. And he talks about how he rescued sheep from a lion and a bear. And he says, you know what? Just, just as God helped me rescue that lion, the, those lambs from the lion and the bear, I know that God is He's made me with certain gifts and abilities that, I'm gonna, that he's going to be able to do that same thing when I face Goliath. And so he, he takes his shepherd's tools, his, his slingshot, he's able to bring that to the battle rather than feeling pressure to have to face Goliath with, with Saul's tools. David's able to say no to Saul's pressure because he's been through this process of differentiation. He knows who he is, he knows that this armor isn't going to fit him at this point. So he can just say, no, no, I'm not going to fit that mold because that's that's not who I am. A key to differentiation is something that Skizera also talks about in this week's chapter, and it's something that we're going to come back to throughout this series. How do you get that sense of, of, of who you are, especially in relation to other people? You need to slow down and to be silent, and to have times of solitude and reflection. See, when we are, when we're just busy, 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 running, 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 and we're just surrounded by people and voices around us, it's very hard to get that clear sense of who I am. We need to, to remove ourselves for, for, to, for periods of time, have solitude and silence and reflection and, and time before God and saying, God, who are, who am I? Who have you created me to be? what are the gifts that you've given me and part of the reason that that we're what we're doing in these 8 weeks is we're using that book emotionally healthy spirituality day by day that devotional it's not meant to just be sort of a, an extra thing that you can do if you want it's meant to be a core of actually what we're doing in these 8 weeks because what that forces us to do is twice a day to pause to be silent for 2 minutes to read a short devotional, to, to wrestle with a question, and to be silent for another two minutes. And to do that twice a day for five days during the week. And, and as we do that over eight weeks, you know what? It's not going to be comfortable right away, but, but I think eventually we're going to get to be, actually have a, a, a sense of appreciation for that time of just being silent before God. And, and being able to reflect and say, God, who... How are you coming to me in this this devotional today? How are you coming to me in in, in your word? What are you saying about who I am in relationship to you? This This discipline is not easy, but it's a part of the process of coming to know your true self so that you can better know God. And that leads to the final step on this pathway to knowing your true self. We're honest with our emotions. We begin this process of differentiation, but here is really the key of how we can know our true self is that we believe, you believe that your ultimate identity is in Christ. You believe that your ultimate identity is in Christ. It's good to understand our emotions. It's good to understand our own strengths, the way that God has wired us through this process of differentiation. But the most important part of coming to know our true self is to understand and believe that our ultimate identity, it's in Jesus. It's not in anything about us. Because it is only our identity in Christ that can resist those false identities that keep getting thrown at us and it's only that our identity in Christ that can strip away the false identities that we have wrapped around ourselves see the ultimate reason that David was able to to resist those false selves that were thrown at him from his brother Eliab and from Saul and from Goliath was because he knew his identity was defined in the Lord the Lord God of Israel In verse 37, David says to Saul, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And in verse 45, David says to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. David sees so clearly that that this fight is not ultimately between him and Goliath. It's between God and Goliath. And so David, he is not trusting in his skills with the slingshot. He is not trusting ultimately in in his superior strategy. He's trusting in his God. And he knows that God has given him certain tools that, that God is going to use in this battle. And so he's not fazed by his brother's scoffing. When his brother makes fun of him, eh, you know, who are you? Go back to your sheep. David knows it doesn't matter because my identity is in who God says that I am. My identity is in the fact that I have been delivered from him by God. And he's able to leave behind Saul's armor because he knows I don't need that army. Armor God's got this fight. He can use whatever, whatever he, however he shaped me. And he's able to walk boldly before Goliath and swing that slingshot knowing that as verse 47 says, the battle is the Lord's. And you know what? The same is true for those of us who have been saved by Jesus Christ. Our ultimate identity is sons and daughters of the living God. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Those who have been loved unconditionally. Who have been forgiven all our sins. Who are declared perfectly righteous. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, we are eagles. We're not chickens. Right? That is who we are, not because of anything in us, but it's because of what God says about us, because who we are in Christ. And so when we face pressures around us to take up these false identities, to trust in, in things of this world for our value, that saying, that you need to be successful, you need to, you need to have this, you need to have that, or when we face the, these, these pressures to conform to the expectations and pressures of other people whether that's our parents or our siblings or or your boss or your friends, or when you hear that voice of Goliath saying, you're worthless, you're weak, you're a failure. How do we respond? We stand up boldly and say, the battle is the Lord's. And my Lord Jesus fought that battle through his death and resurrection, and he won. And I am defined by his victory. I am defined by who he says I am, not who you say that I am. Our identity, our value, is secure in Christ. So let's receive that. Let's believe that. And let's live into that as we know ourselves, that we may know God even more. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have won the victory over Satan and that, and that we don't stand in our own victory, but we stand in your victory as ones who have been redeemed and bought. And Lord, we pray that this identity of, of who you say that we are Would would overshadow what the world says and any of these false selves that we sometimes feel pressure to put on ourselves. Lord, help us to resist these false selves and to take them off and to say to realize we don't need them. We don't need to define ourselves in the ways that the world says that, that we have value or or pressures we may face from family or from those in power and authority or or just the insecurities within us that 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 that's really Satan's voice saying that that you're worthless, that you're you're not you're a failure. Lord, we pray that your voice would drown out those other voices, that we would know that we are eagles, not chickens, and that we would soar on the wings of those eagles. In our identity, in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.